Welcome, everybody, to Between the Lines, the podcast from Jewish Quest. My name is Simon Eder, and each week I am joined by somebody wonderful to discuss and share insights on the parasha. And this week we are joined by someone who is perhaps more qualified than anybody I know. We are joined by Rabbi Alex Goldberg, who is a barrister, chaplain, and human rights activist. He is also currently the Dean of Religious Life and Belief at the University of Surrey. He has a huge number of accolades. We also go back a number of years. We were many years ago at an interfaith conference hosted by the, what was it, Rabbi Alex? WJCR, um, is that right? Yeah, World Council for Religion and Religions. But I still, I, I, Simon, I still have in my passport a special stamp, and I didn't know what it was at the time. It means you're guests of the king. So we were both guests of King Abdullah, I had, which I tell you what, it got us an expressway through uh, through passport control. That was it. But uh, very exciting on our visa. memorable, yes. memorable indeed. Just before the turn of I, the no, millennium, if I don't know about mistaken. you, Simon. I have never been a guest of a king before or since i shall leave that to the chief rabbi who apparently spent the weekend this month or last month now in in Buckingham of course palace. at the palace, at the yes, palace so I, of course. I await to have my stay over <laughs> sleep over sleep over i'm, sh- I'm sure it, i'm sure it'll be forthcoming um, i was yes. only midway through your oh sorry, sorry your, through your biography but but pl- plenty more to say but i think let's maybe let's maybe dive in to diving's what what does Bahalotra mean? So it's interesting you say that because I think there's even a dispute what it means. So it's often translated as when you mount up and it's it's to the lights, the menorah, to the lights on the menorah, or when you light the lamps, according to Rashi. Or, and Jonathan Saxon's latest translation says, when you raise up. And the reason for this is Rashi jumps in there, Simon, and he's, he's interested in this text. And there are two reasons he's interested. I'm going to the second first, and that's why he's interested. He's interested that the fact are Kudusha and the lights themselves, and the fact that you make the lights raise up on their own. So we know we do the whole hand-waving gesture. I'm doing it now, but I believe this is for, for a podcast. It's not very good. I'm waving my hands like a frantic rabbi would in, a, in his Yom Kippur sermon. And when you light the candles, and you, you try and raise it up, and the light comes up. And it's not properly lit until it's flickering. So he, this is him. He wants the lights to be raised up. But the first bit of the Rashi is his idea there was a step and you stepped up to the menorah. And you've got a little bit of a little bit of sort of what about me going on here? Remember, this is you've got Moses and Aaron. And, and they this is juxtaposed to the princes of the tribes giving their first offerings and this has got to be the biggest in synagogues you have these donation boards ex-family donated this is the greatest donation board of all time where you start with sean the prince of judah and he comes with his gifts and we know all about nashon because he turns up in the talmud why is he the first person can i go into this i don't know if you want me to go why is he the first person to give a gift He's the first person to give a gift because when they were at the Red Sea, we were at the Red Sea, and surrounded by the Egyptian chariots, he and his mates decided to 
run into the water to try and make it open up because they had the faith that they'd be rescued by God. Moses then talks to God according to the Midrash and says, what do I do? And he says, pray a little and then stick your rod out. And then it all opened up. But Nashon gets a big thank you from the Jewish people or the Israelites. And quite rightly so if he did. But the poor old Kohanim and Levites are not giving an offering. And they're a little bit sad, according to Rashi. I'm really extrapolating this Rashi a lot. But they're a little bit sad, feeling left out. I think FOMO is the word my kids use, fear of missing out. And God says, no, you're part of the Kudushah, the separateness or the holiness of the temple, the better Mikdash. And you, you get to light the lights, the candle, the menorah every day or whatever it is, whenever they light it. You get to the menorah. And that's your job. And that's your offering. And you are part of that offering because you are offering service, Avadah, in the temple. And that's a great thing to have. So you don't need to give gifts. You're part of the setup, so to speak. You've got a really special role. And they're very happy about this. So that's the meaning behind it. So you elevate yourself to light the menorah. And I think with all this, we're going to get into issues of what is Kedushah, what is holiness, what is separateness, and what is raising yourself up. Sorry, Simon, I interrupted you. No, um, we've gone off in, in all sorts of... Tangents, super tangents, I'm sorry. We, the, no, no, that, which the is... Tangent. It's, it's the minhag of Surrey. There we go. All, all good, all good. Yeah, wonderful. Our listeners won't be able to see this, but you are in your wonderful, wonderful study in, in the University of Surrey. Just to bring it to perhaps another tangent, if we go in this direction... But you've connected this to a place in the Shulchan Aruch, which discusses materials that may or may not be used for lighting in the Beit Knesset, and then the different views of and Taz. Could you explore how you draw that connection? Okay, let me explain how I draw this connection. It comes down to a something raised by the Rama in the Shulchan Aruch about about what wax or oils you can use for synagogue candles. It's pretty disgusting. That's why I did a sheet called Rat in the Light Bulb. So you've got these animals called Achbara, which we think are mice, and you've got two sorts of Achbara in the Shulchan Aruch. You've got the Achbara uh, which seems to be a very nice edible mouse, which we're told is eaten by by the king or the sultan or something. I don't know if this is an edible dormouse, as in Lewis Carroll, or something bigger. Anyway, or a big desert thing. I have no idea, but delicious, apparently, but not kosher. And then you've got an Akhbara Damasa, which I think is your average household mouse or rat. I don't know which, but anyway, something like that, which is considered disgusting. Shulchan Aruch goes all over the place with this. It's great. It's going, oh, but maybe it tastes good in vinegar. I think it dips in beer is wonderful. If you're eating your breakfast right now, I apologize profusely, but that's where it goes. And all of a sudden, having gone through, can I do, can I use this? Can I eat it? What happens if the mouse has fallen in this or that? We get into Bissel Bashishim, the 160th rule, which I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with. Is it 160th of a mouse and this and that? And the Rama starts going on about candle wax. And he's worried that I think what happens. From what I understand, I don't do this myself. I have some candles, I throw them away when they're finished. But the when people use candles every day, they would save the wax or the molten bit of the wax by pouring in the molten bit into some sort of pot or jar. So when you've got molting, melting wax, you might have a little mouse go in or a rat and fall into the wax. 
And there are lots of discussions around this because is the is we are looking at Bissabashishim and some just plain mathematics. Has the mouse gone in there when it's totally full? Has the mouse gone in there when it's not full? And that changes what the 60th is. Uh, are there little layers, tiny little layers of wax going up the mouse? I, maybe this maybe, maybe this pot has got a really narrow, I don't know, a lid or something. You put, I can't, or maybe you do it in the dark and you can't see the mouse. I have no idea, but it, it's pretty disgusting stuff. And he is worried that you might use it in a, a bit connected. And hence you have a little bit of an argument, a little bit of an argument between the Taz and the Shah. So Taz is quite simple about this. The Taz says that he it's if one has 60th times the rat and the fat is p- permitted to be eaten then it can be used for shabbos candles and maybe it can be used in short uh, shach says it's forbidden even to use the fat if the fat has 60 times the rat, rat uh, even if it's kosher because it's mayot what's mayot is disgusting he thinks rats are disgusting I'm on the. I think the shack is right. Rats are not very nice. I don't like the idea. And he thinks look, Shabbos candles, no, and even and certainly not candles in the synagogue. That's a that's out and out a no no. So that's where it comes to, and it goes back. Why am I going on about lighting in the synagogue and lighting in the lighting this menorah? The connection is quite obvious. The menorah is the light. Is the it's the holy light in the temple. And we have lights that we use for ritual use in synagogue. And they, the synagogue, we'll probably discuss later, mimics in certain ways the temple in miniature. But how far it does, it's part of this question and probably part of the argument between the Shach and the Taz about the acceptability of use of this for candles, for ritual purposes. There we go. Thank you. What extraordinary directions we're going today, which is great. And then to... So again, to bring it back to to the text and where we see this lighting of the menorah, obviously the dedication of the tabernacle and the commentators move like quite quickly, like of course to to the temple, but also in their relation to the synagogue. What? How do they draw like this connection? Maybe if you could elaborate on that. So the Talmud, is trying to work out how much is a synagogue really a mini temple and we have examples around the world where actually synagogues can be more like temples uh, more like temples more like temples anyway. so if you go off to the nice island of Jerba where Kohanim were refuge whether which was called the island of Kohanim by the Jews it seems that they were refugee priests and perhaps brought a slab or two from the temple when they were refugees. So it's the only place I know in the world where there's this instruction on half of the synagogue to take your shoes off. Why take your shoes off? Because as we know, Moses in the burning bush is in a holy place and he's told to take his shoes off. And likewise, you take your shoes off when you go into the temple. But we don't take our shoes off in the synagogue. And what well, you can do, but you, it's not obligatory. And but there it is. There seems to you, you suddenly you prompted a thought, and I might be wrong about this. Go on. But if I'm not mistaken, the other place, and I'm unfortunately not familiar with, with Jerba, but the other pay, place might be in Cochin. In Cochin. Again, if you look at the if you look at Kochi Jews and the time the Kochi Jewish community is three thousand years old. And perhaps at some point the traders took a bit of temple 
and went over coaching. I don't know. And I should know because later on in the year, I'm doing. I'm going to go to Kochi and do a little documentary. So I will follow up on that, Simon. It's good stuff. But okay. perhaps there are little bits of, what do you need from the temple? Probably just when they took down some of the stadiums in London or whether it was the old Highbury or if I can mention it, White Hart Lane. I don't want to mention White Hart Lane. People took the chairs with them, didn't they? So it, it, perhaps the refugees thought, I will take it with the temple to preserve it after it's destroyed. That would make sense. There's also a difference in the Talmud. There are things that you can do and can't do in synagogues, and I come to we may come to we have time to come to, because it is a it's considered a holy sanctuary. But there are, seems to be different levels of synagogues. There's a lovely thing in the Talmud where Rav, Rav Asi says, "Oh, synagogues in Babylon are different from synagogues in the land of Israel." And and therefore you can you can do various things. It's in Megillah twenty eight. He says that you you shouldn't act with frivolity. That you can there are certain things that you can do, and they don't have the full sanctity of of a synagogue per se. So it's a quite strange thing. But you can't be frivolous. You can't do business in there. The shulchan you can't sort of things you can't do. You can't sleep in there unless it's or eat in there unless it's part of a ritual. So kiddish is still on, guys. That's all right. You can't shelter from the rain in there, and you can't fall asleep in there. Yeah, that's probably why until recently the only sermons of the year were the laws of Pesach and and a sermon during Shabbat Shuvah because you know you're not allowed to sleep in the synagogue, Simon. No sermon, no sleeping, and you're not allowed to eulogize. You're not allowed to do a funeral eulogy. And the shulchan gathers all this Talmud. And it tries to put it into a block and uh, and succeeds. So no sermons, no shelter, no business, no eulogy. And it says, uh, if a man finds it necessary to enter for his own needs to call someone, for instance, he should read or study something afterwards. I'm like, but I sh- I'm thinking, what is the what is the telephone network like in Safat in the, whatever in the 16th century that you can go in there and call someone? Anyway, but excellent stuff. I don't think he means telephone calls, but you never know. Yes, don't make it. Don't use your. Don't use your phone. And if it's a house of study, you can nap. That that's useful. So there seems to be different definitions of what is a synagogue, what is a better medrash, what is a place of learning. But all of them are, even if they're destroyed, and that's what it says in. Again, there's a whole tractate and there's a whole bit of Megillah in the Talmud, which goes into, no, you can't do this even in a destroyed synagogue. So they do maintain sanctity of some sorts, according to the Talmud, after they're being destroyed as a synagogue. So I'm not going to get into today whether you can convert synagogues into blocks of flats. They have been. But yeah, you should treat that place with some sort of respect. So again, back to the parashat that the next three stories really that we encounter concern plenty of the people's grumbling over lack of meat leading to anger at Israel and Moses's despair, the grievance over Eldad and Medad, the Lashon Hara of the, the gossip by Miriam leading to then her punishment and um, mm. leprosy. How do these things that follow from where we are connect to the dedication of the tabernacle when the people were on such a spiritual high and what do you really see as the importance of the sequencing with these elements i think it's important that why do i think it's important because i think that sequencing is important in the torah now there's but that's my that's Hazal's view, and it's my view. 
So I think the idea of going up, of Kedusha, of making yourself into a holy nation, we are a holy nation, we are a kingdom of priests, we are we are trying to be something special. I, I think I can use Franz Rosenzweig, am I allowed to use Franz Rosenzweig without it? So the idea of Jewish, Jewish people living, trying to form perfect communities and having a living by morality and halakha and having their influence by example in those communities and the light unto nations by what they do and how they behave and how they conduct themselves is really important. So if you start with this idea of dedicating the the tabernacle you then have the priests going up they are elevated spiritually to can to light the menorah to bring light into the world and are going in, yeah light into nations and this is their duty they have good show these three stories here are how you can bring down a community by actions that we may do on an everyday basis we are humans after all but it is a warning it's a it is a clear warning i think to us as Jews, as human beings, of how you can start destroying that community. So if you're a Kedusha community, you've separated yourself to do something holy and special. It's like the rat in the it's like the rat in the old bowl of wax, isn't it? So wax is wax. We can get into how you make cheese and my the thing that makes the cheese rise. There's a whole discussion in Halakha of what you can throw in the cheese. But the cheese will still look like the cheese. You can have non-kosher cheese and kosher cheese. They'll look the same. They may even taste the same. But within them is this kernel, this little thing which starts it going. And if it's not kosher, it's not kosher. One sixtieth, one whatever. And I think that that's what we're trying to get to here, which is actually if you start with grumbling in the eyes of God or grumbling about getting gifts of even hospitality around the table. A lot of you, hopefully a lot of your listeners are inviting people around and accepting invites over the Shabbos table, grumbling about, you know, oh dear, the Cohen's are vegan or whatever. It's just not, it's not very nice, is it? And so they're grumbling about meat. Also, let's be nice to people who within our midst, have skills and let's nurture people in our community. So Eldad and Medad, they're two young people. We have the spirit of God falling on everybody, but they continue prophesying in the camp. And everyone's upset because before that, Moses is the big prophet. And and it is, and what's seen in this story, I think, is that when Kedusha lands on you, when you have these innate skills... Let's not throw people out when they've got those skills. Let's nurture them. I think in our community, in many communities, there's a, a, a tall poppy syndrome and B, an idea that perhaps we should tell young people to wait. And sometimes the time is just right for them. And we, when the right person is in the right place, it's certainly that's what I want to do in my life. I want to empower them and nurture them and try and get them into the position that they should be in, leading a community or teaching in a community or whatever skill that they've been given in life. Make them the best versions of themselves so they can serve the whole community. I think the third story about Miriam is Loshan Hara. It's about gossip. It's how we can cause pain and damage in a community. And we know there's a story in the Talmud that, I'm sorry, but there's a story that I can't remember the name, but there's a story in the Talmud about how the Talmud is how the temple was destroyed. And it's a mix-up in invitations where, where a name of a rabbi sounds like a name of another to a wedding. And there's a whole sequence of events that Talmud goes through 
the wrong when the wrong person says can i still come to the wedding and he's thrown away and he says please don't embarrass me and all that he's hurt and all that leads to destruction of the temple so with making people with gossiping about people may and not being respectful to people not giving them their human dignity we can destroy whole communities and in fact we can destroy temples and what is kadosha so which goes back to the very dedication of the mishkan so a piece of gossip or a piece of social action which embarrasses somebody can destroy a whole nation or at least destroy its center which is a temple and a and i think love and respect and empowering people and working together in a community can rise us up which is the whole idea of this pasha so just to join the dots and go full circle really bahalot is the ideal that we that is there that we need to look up to as we are pulled down in, I think, well, in the course of re, as reality like bites is that right we, i think so. i think i think perhaps also thinking about it this way one of my students gave a speech recently at the postgrad graduation and said that there is a study of people who go up everest and there's at the top of everest there is the I think they call it the, the the death steps. It's the last bit of the climb, Simon, up Everest, where you are, you, there's no oxygen and it's terrible and people don't make it and they collapse and all that. And they, there are people that look up at where they've got to go and people that look down and admire where they've come to. <laughs> and I think that perhaps where I would disagree with you is perhaps part of the story in when you're stepping up is also because you have these three stories afterwards is to look down from where you have come from look down to my 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 father was an aramean he was an idolater blah 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 we say in the haggadah right we've come from a people of slaves to a people of free people that have chosen the torah keep on to get up higher you need to recognize and consolidate where you've come from because the people that make it up the top of everest have recognized that those who look up and go oh, i don't think i can make it don't so that's what I think. But you've got to appreciate where you are, because in that moment in the temple, the dedication of the Mishkan, we are at a spiritually high level. And I think we're also at a morally and probably high level, and also at a level where we have freedom, the freedom to choose to live that life and to live as a nation, uh, which which carries morality and uh, and dignity for all human beings. And that's a really important thing that we have, in, have brought into the world and the ripples of which are felt amongst billions of people today. Rabbi Alex, what a wonderful ending. Thank you so much for exploring with us today and wonderful to reconnect as well. Look forward to welcoming you back and look forward to hearing how Coach Jin goes later in the year. I look forward to coming back, talking about Kochi, and also wishing you all Mazeltov and all you're doing on this channel. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, Alex. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Do, of course, check out our exciting content that we have on our mothership, jewishquest.org. And we do look forward to meeting again next week, where we shall move from Guildford this week to Jerusalem next week, where we are joined by Rabbi Francis Nataf to explore wow. Shalach.